Welcome to Eavesdrop, where every day is a great conversation. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad you're listening. If you're new to Eavesdrop, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Or if you have an iPhone, you can download the new podcast app. That makes it even easier. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Show, and you can find us on the web at www.eavesdropshow.com. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and eavesdrop. Hello, I'm Heather, and I'm so grateful again that you've stopped in to eavesdrop on another great conversation. Today, as my guest, I have Melody Hemphill. She's a friend of mine, and we've kind of known each other in passing for, a, you know, close to a decade now. But uh, we're just starting to build a friendship, and it's really come out of the fact that I'm a supporter of the ministry that she and her husband, Randy Hemphill, um, have here in Birmingham, and it's called LifeMinistriesNow.com. And it is an incredible ministry. So, of course, as we've been talking a lot about women and the struggles we have and about marriage and even that day that we dove into the, the ugly D word of divorce, I just thought she would be a natural to come in and talk because God has done such a work in she and Randy's life and in their marriage. And so without further ado, welcome to Eavesdrop Melody. Thank you, Heather. I am grateful to be here. Very um, excited and humbled to get to be a part of this and to get to share some of what God has done in my life and mm-hmm. um, let the listeners hear um, hopefully some hope and um, and what God can do in their lives too. Yeah, I, it's just awesome for me. Um, having come through what I did where my marriage was not radically redeemed, um, to see a family who has gone through so much of what I went through and God did. He did allow for transformation and ministry out of it. And it, it is, it's just my honor. To, to sit with you and um, like I said I am a monthly supporter to their ministry and I I just wanted to expose y'all to her because she is doing what God has created and called her to do and so I just wanted to validate that and to maybe give you a resource guys if you are out there and you can relate to what Melody and I share today I just hope that you can reach out. Um, like I said, they do have a website. It's lifeministriesnow.com. And they have written a book. And the book is great. Um, but the title is very enticing. It says, Every Marriage Needs a Divorce, The Pathway to Healing and Hope. And I just finished reading it this week. And it, it really is a page turner. And they do kind of suck in. The names of the chapter titles are awesome. But um, I've asked Melody to actually do three shows with us. So she'll be with us for three weeks. And the, and the first show we're going to do is really about the story of what God has done in their lives and, and in their marriage. Because, you know, they talk about there's, you know, each of them and then the, the marriage. Um, so that's the first show. And then the second show we're going to talk about forgiveness and shame and how there has to be a, a separation from the pain and the um, the guilt or shame of what we've gone through. And then the third one will be about what happens when God does redeem and restore and how he gives you those ministry opportunities because of what he's worked in your story. So I hope you can see Melody's got so much to share. So without any more hesitation, uh, Melody, could you kind of just walk us through what it was like for you growing up and then, um, you know, for your husband, Randy, as he grew up to just give us like a backdrop of your story. Okay. 
Um, Randy and I have been married for 17 years. Uh, We just had our anniversary a few weeks ago. And um, we met when we were freshmen in college. And so um, kind of two kids that thought we were adults um, meeting and and starting to pursue a relationship. But we both had somewhat similar upbringings. We both were brought up in the church um, and faith and being involved in um, in the church was a, a key thing for both mm-hmm. of us. Randy, um, his father is a pastor, so he grew up in that fishbowl um, that a lot of kids of pastors can relate to. Um, and that's really all he knew was church and ministry and all those things from a young age. Um, I grew up in the church. We were there for pretty much everything that mm-hmm. went on. My dad <clears throat> was a deacon and um my parents were very involved, teachers of Sunday school, all those kind of things. And so church was a very big part of my life. Um, I became a Christian when I was five. I I knew I didn't understand a lot of things, but I knew that I wanted to know Jesus um, and um, kind of pursued what that looked like as a kid. I went yeah. to a Christian school um, when I was in elementary school. So I had that a strong foundation there. Um Randy um, became a believer when he was seven and um, was known as kind of the little preacher boy. He would um, <laughs> wear a suit. That. He would wear a suit to church every Sunday and stand with his dad in the back of the church and shake hands as everybody left. And um, oh, that's so funny, y'all! If you knew Randy now, he is such a laid back. Just he's like your your buddy from high school. You yeah, know? he'll shepherd you, but he shepherds you in a very. Um, non-invasive kind of way yeah. so it's it's neat to see that when he was little he was aggressively you know loving on people at the back of the church yes. okay yeah that was him from a young age and um the suit thing is hilarious because yeah. now he he won't wear a suit even in an even in an environment where he probably should he still he doesn't want to and so it's funny because his school yeah. pictures he's in a suit from you know like first grade he's I wearing can't, a suit to school i can't remember a time i've seen him without tennis shoes on yeah he's he's against the suit now if he unless he has to wear it um but you know grew up in that fishbowl kind of um everybody watching him he was the the youngest of four so usually the baby of the family is the entertainer a lot of the time (laughs) um and that was him um the funny kid you know trying to get attention um i was the firstborn daughter Mm -hmm. um i have a sister and um, I was the bossy older sister, um, very driven, um, really struggled with perfectionism um, from a very young age. I mean, I, music was my thing. I loved to sing and I learned how to play the piano and um, that was kind of my place to succeed and find some worth and get some attention and, and some validation. And so I really poured all of myself into that and being the best that I could be at that. And um, there's there's a, a couple of quotes I wanted to share with, when you were saying that. There's one that you write about and one that Randy shared. The one, the one that Randy shared that I thought was so great was, this comes from their book. It's in that very first chapter where they're talking about their beginnings. But Randy shared, um, this was part of what I brought into our marriage, a reluctance to trust, 
along with the passivity to really share what was going on. And that's, you know, what Melody was mm-hmm. talking about, that fishbowl. He was brought up with everybody looking at him. And, you know, he shares that he was brought up in those churches that we all grew up in, those little bitty churches that had a parsonage right beside it. Yeah. And it was a church owned, but the minister lived in it. And how you just never knew who was going to drop in because they really felt like it was their house. Yeah. yeah. You're just in it. And I, I so can relate to that just what that would have been like as a child because I grew up in a church where there was a parsonage. Um, but he says, you know, a reluctance to trust along with a passivity to really share what was going on. I brought a well-oiled machine that ran on the fumes of church and religious affirmation. I carefully protected the image of having it all together while not giving myself the freedom to fail and struggle. And I just thought that was such a great picture of how we're set up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then like a page over, this is what Melody says. She says, I'm a perfectionist. When I was younger, I was called conscientious. Oh, I love that word. Uh, every teacher called me conscientious. Oh, you're such a good student. Yeah. They're, they're favorite. <laughs> loved it but the root of that was always perfectionism i remember being the busiest third grader ever oh i was so tired at eight i did so many things and here's she lists so much i just was like oh poor melody i went to school played in three handbell groups at church was a girl scout took piano lessons sang in the children's choir and went to missions groups sunday school and anything else available at the church there was probably there was probably more than that i just don't even remember and this was all at eight years old I wanted to do everything and I wanted to be perfect at it and the best in the group oh I could so relate to that I think so many of us growing up can yeah and then she goes on to say and I could actually claim that accomplishment at a few of those things this only led to the drive to do more I was busy and I was tired and I was just a little girl and I, I mean I almost tear up reading that because I think we do that to our little girls yeah I think we do that we we set them up to be the best at something. God's made you good at something. Go be the best at it. And then somehow, not that we've ever said it, not that we believed it, but our little girls think, I have to earn. I have to work. I have to prove. And um, so I just teared up looking at how mm-hmm. those two sweet little Christian kids grew up and found each other and got married. And that's really what you were bringing to a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, you know, issues with perfectionism, I think, quickly bled over into my relationship with God because, Mm. you know, I'm trying to be perfect at everything. And somewhere in my messed up thinking, I think God expects me to be perfect. Yeah. And so I'm putting all this pressure on myself to, um, to be good enough for him um, not understanding at that age that there was absolutely nothing I could do to earn God's love for me. Um, and so my, my thinking about who God was and how yeah. he related to me was distorted from a very young age. And, oh, you yeah. know, that wasn't done intentionally by anybody, but that's how I perceived my world. And so, you know, I go into my teenage years and early adulthood, and that's what I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Randy felt called to ministry at a young age. I can see that. Um, you know, he was the little preacher boy at seven. So um, felt that probably at 15, mm-hmm. uh, really felt like that's what God's calling on his life was. Um, and I think at that point, he really envisioned he would grow up and just be just like his dad. Yeah. His dad was a huge hero and role model for mm-hmm. him. And so he um, he wanted to walk in his dad's footsteps. And um 
for me, I loved music, so I, I've always felt like I would do something in music. I didn't know what that was. I wanted to be like Amy Grant or someone like that. As a young child, I thought, oh, I'll just grow up and be a contemporary Christian singer. Well, it's not that simple, as I yeah, you yeah. know, found out in early adulthood. Um, and so um, we met um, our freshman year of college um, on a retreat, and um Funny thing was, when I met him, I I just thought, oh, he's so nice and so much fun. I'm so glad that we'll get to be friends. And I didn't I didn't really think about dating. I kind of wasn't sure. even interested at the time. And um, me and my roommate met him and his roommate. A lot of funny stories about that. But we thought they just wanted to be friends. And we knew him like four days and they were, you know, pursuing dating. And so we were like, oh, this is not what we um, thought we were getting into. But Which isn't um, that just like right there this yes. is not what I signed up for this yeah. is not this is not what I thought was gonna happen yeah <laughs> so we started dating um when we were 18 um pretty quickly started talking about the possibility of marriage um and um we got engaged before our junior year married before our senior year um and just jumped in thinking you know we love each other. Right. We're just over the moon over each other. We've got each other. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be great in life. Um, and, um, you know, we were young. We had a lot to learn, but we thought that we knew a lot more than we did. Um, and he took his first ministry position about a month after we started dating. So not only are we starting this new relationship, but but ministry was a part of it from the Almost very beginning. Yeah. And around that time, I started sensing God's call on my life um, in ministry. Didn't know what that looked like exactly. Um, so when I met him and we started dating, that seemed like, okay, God's bringing all this together. together for us. And um, we did youth ministry for several years um, and then ended up that was all we lived in North Carolina that's where I grew up and then we moved to Birmingham after we'd been married about two years for Randy to pursue his master's and um, went through some very painful church experiences um, early on in our move that really um, took its toll on our relationship and we were a couple that we didn't fight a lot there I, I sadly was very controlling um and sometimes he tells me i still am um god and, love him they don't let go of that controlling word yes, once it comes out it's kind of yeah. out there <laughs> and randy was very passive i mean so much of our upbringing he's the youngest he's the make mm-hmm. everybody happy don't tell anybody how i really feel um and i was the oldest this driven kind of girl and so we brought all that into marriage and that was kind of how we functioned out of that and so that's not healthy for marriage for the woman to be the controller and the man to be passive but let's be Um, honest a lot of us bring that in yes a lot of us bring in that we were raised by women that did it all they were super moms i mean our generation was raised by the first really working moms you know we we are um you know at the end of the baby boomers and um we saw our moms go to work we saw our moms come home and have a perfectly spotless house and still cook dinner and still get us to church on time and they were in the junior league and they were on the pta at that time it was called pta and you know they did it all yeah so that didn't look like control to us. Yeah. It looked like jobs and roles. Yeah. But somehow I think it translates. Yeah. 
into that and it's a it's a very fine line that yeah. we can cross um, yeah yeah so I, I i can understand that my husband would probably sit in the back and say wow that sounds like us because <laughs> you know he is more of a laid back yeah and i am more of that type a yeah. so so you've got that control passive thing going We've did you guys talk on. about that or you know not at that time we didn't um i think that's all we knew and so we thought that's what quote normal yeah. marriage mm-hmm. kind of looks like and um suddenly we were put in some some places where um we started developing a lot of tension because mm-hmm. of things going on in ministry he was handling it in a passive way it was the same way he handled life with me which i was okay with because it gave me the control but i did not like seeing that happen in those settings where i felt like he was being walked all over and wasn't standing up for himself and so you know I'm telling him, well, this is what you need to do, and this is how to fix this. And I'm angry at him because he's not handling things the way that I wanted him to. And that's where a lot of our tension and issues began. And we really didn't know what to do with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. We, um, it Was was it kind of like you said everything and just left it out there and it was never really resolved? Yeah, it wasn't resolved. And I developed a lot of frustration and bitterness toward Randy because I felt like if he would just stand up for us, mm-hmm. things would be different. Um, we went through a period where um, he was not serving in a church, mm-hmm. um, just needed a break, honestly, yeah. from some of the things that we had walked through. He did some secular work for a time, and then um, God led us to a new church and some really new, exciting ministry mm-hmm. things um, for him and for me. Uh, we both served together on this church staff for a while. and. And by this time, you know, we'd been married five or six years. So we weren't newlyweds anymore. The newness had kind of worn off. We had been through some tough stuff as a couple. Some of it we had dealt with. A lot of it we had not. And so there was this kind of underlying tension growing as to how we were relating to each other and and dealing with things. And um, if Randy were here, he would share, you know, he was, as all men do, looking to his job for validation. And Mm -hmm. so his job just happened to be in a ministry setting, but it's no different than a man who's trying to climb the corporate ladder. Um, And so he was really pouring himself into his job, into this new church position that was um, in a mega church he had grown up in tiny churches so this was totally new it felt like he kind of arrived and he was really pouring himself into that because um i think when he was growing up he never even saw himself having that opportunity um i had gotten very lost in um trying to figure out who i was supposed to be um i did not feel like i was good enough just being myself um And I think this could have happened in a lot of different scenarios for us. But because it was in the church and in ministry, all this got equated with my walk with God. And I, you know, was trying to figure out what am I supposed to be as a ministry wife? I felt like I had to be perfect. That fishbowl, it kind of just kept coming with you. Yes. You know, Randy had it as a child. Then you two married. And then I jumped in the bowl with them. And then all of a sudden, that bowl just gets even bigger because now you're at a mega church. So that bowl's bigger and you two are getting swarmed up in it. And everybody has an opinion, at least in your perception. Right. They have an opinion. And what do you have to be to reach that accomplishment or have that approval yeah Yeah. i can see that and i look to 
all these other women trying to figure out who I was supposed to be. And I, I really thought I was supposed to be the best of each one of them. Let's put all that together. And then yeah. that makes me like super something. The I, Proverbs know. 31 woman, right? right? I mean, right. If I can take, if I can try to imitate what I see the best in all of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the expectations I had for myself were far greater than what anybody else had for me. Um, I think all women could say that, not yeah. even just in church or ministry, but when you go to your job, you, yeah. you do the same thing. When yeah. you go to the PTA meeting and you want to be a part of that board, you look and you think, I, I just think we all do that. Yeah. We all look to see externally who who, and what should I emulate yeah. and how do I piece that together to make me instead mm-hmm. of looking at what God's done already and what yeah. he's given you. Yeah. And comparing ourselves to Ugh. everyone else. Yes. And no matter how how great we can be at something, there's always somebody better. And yeah. so we feel like a failure. And I really felt like that, like I was failing at a, a, a role that I didn't really understand what it should look like. And I wasn't looking to Christ to give me my validation and worth. I was so used to looking to those external things I could do, because as a kid, that's where I felt like I got the praise and I, I got my validation. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it, it, we talk a lot in the book about how the the upbringing All those things that we, the messages we received as kids, how you get married, you bring all that in. And so, you know, you've got two people bringing these suitcases crammed full of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we open a new suitcase. We're trying to cram it all in there. And it's just a big old mess. And I think that the chapter that y'all use, the the wording is so great. They use scaffolding. Yeah. Is this word? Because, you know, we all have that picture of scaffolding. You build it up Mm -hmm. to accomplish something, but then it always gets taken down. And they talk about that, how what they brought in, they built up something, but it wasn't going to be able to be useful long term. And and I love that because, you know, Randy, like you said, was seeking the validation and, um, you know, thriving in his career, trying to push everything into that, you know, yeah. and then here you were trying to do the same thing, but neither one of you really feeling like connection to each other yeah. was valuable, valuable at that time. It was kind of like a secondary thing. Yeah. We, um, we'd been married long enough to be very settled into just how we did life. Yeah. Um, we did not have children at that time. And, um, we had quit really putting our marriage as a priority. Mm-hmm. We thought we were okay um, and certainly had no concept at that time of what the enemy would love to do to us, to yeah. steal from us, to yeah. destroy um, our relationship. No concept of the warfare that it surrounds our marriages. Yeah. And um, we had watched family members. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just don't, we don't talk about that. You fall in love. You look so cute. We think you're going to have great looking babies. We go down the aisle. We, you know, go off. You get your first apartment. Then you get your first house. Then you buy the first car together, you know. Yeah. And you do. You get to that settled point, And then before you know it. There is an attack. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this happens to each of us, and we're also blindsided when it's our turn. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know, I, my my view at the time was it was part prideful and it was part naive, but I thought we're not going to be touched by what we see some other people going mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Um, you know, we we're good. We're we're serving God. We're doing all these things that are the right things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we had watched family members deal with 
painful divorces, um, adultery, and those things. And so, um, you know, we thought we were we were good, immune to all that, and that was not the case. Um, so in this place of work where we Mm -hmm. had, um, where we, Randy and I were both working at this church at the time, um, I developed a friendship with a male coworker. Um, and there were a lot of us at the time working there that were young and, and hanging out and stuff, but I knew I felt an attraction to him that was not good. Like a, uh, friendship, emotional attraction, like you could talk to him or. Yeah, I enjoyed just to enjoy being around him. Mm-hmm. He was fun. He was funny. He seemed to really want to know me, which was, I felt in, in that relationship, I didn't feel like I had to be somebody specific. I felt like, oh, he's just interested in me. I don't, it's mm-hmm. not a role I have to play. And so all this pressure I had put on myself to be a certain person, I didn't feel that in that friendship. Um, but I knew how much I enjoyed being around him and I knew that was not healthy. And so, um, I really backed away from that, Mm -hmm. um, for a time because I thought, okay, I, I, this isn't good. Um, but looking back, I so wish that I had gone to someone that I trusted and said, I'm struggling with this. I feel this attraction, um, to a man that is not my husband. Mm -hmm. And had some accountability, and I did not do that um, a lot. I think we're afraid to do that. Yes. Oh, I was very afraid. Like to it's going to tarnish our image. Yes. You know, we're we're such emotional creatures. The way God has made us, we're so relational. And when we do have a void in a relationship, we sometimes do seek it out. Yeah. Outside of God. Yeah. You know, when when God gives us those holes, it's for us to long for Him to right. fill it. But in our brokenness and in the way we're shaped and that scaffolding that you guys are talking about, sometimes we do seek other things or other people. You know, we're all wired a little differently. So um, so this emotional friendship, even though you had cut it off, you still kept it kind of quiet, like a like a secret. Yes, I I thought I could handle it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just if I stay away from him, I'll be fine. And I did that for a time. And then um thought that I was kind of over whatever those feelings had been Mm -hmm. and so kind of let my guard down um, again and began a friendship again Um, and it grew to be um, a pretty close friendship pretty quickly Um, Randy was uncomfortable with it um, and he had every right to be you know we were all working in this same workplace at the time Um, but when he confronted me about it and not at that time, it was not in an angry way, but it was, I'm not comfortable with this. Um, I became very defensive because I felt like I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, we're just friends, Mm -hmm. um, you know, made all these excuses instead of trying to hear his heart and why he was uncomfortable with it. Um, and so that really pushed the friendship into a secretive place where, um, you know, we would talk when nobody else was around, Mm -hmm. um, phone calls, those kind of things, um, in secret so that, um, you know, wouldn't cause anybody to be uncomfortable, but that, you know, definitely was the first red flag. Anytime something has to be secretive from your spouse, um, you know that that's yeah. something that you should not be doing. And I just feel like so many of us know that there is something in our marriage that is secretive. May not be a relationship. 
You know, it may be that you take an extra $20 out when you're buying groceries. And and as small as that seems, that is a is a foothold. It's an yeah. entryway for our enemy. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think they talk to us about this in premarital counseling or even on the altar, but marriage is the picture that God gives this lost and dying world of Christ in the church. Yeah. How much that intimacy is and that the head should know what's going on with the body. And, you know, as Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband and the head of the bride. And that picture of how much he loves us. And we start to hide little things. Yeah. Like a $20 here or a text message to somebody or yeah. um, just that you smile in a different way when you see someone or pursuing something that has nothing to do with your marriage. It's not always a person. So I don't want people to just right. think, you know, it, I didn't do this, or I've never felt that. There is something that each one of us can identify um, that could potentially be a a foothold. Yeah. Um, I I think this is probably a a really pivotal point in every marriage to say, I started to pull away and, and do secretive things. Yeah. So what happened next? Um. The relationship continued um, kind of in a secretive way, and the feelings for me began to really um, to grow. Um, I sensed that he probably felt some of that, too, um, and there was part of me that knew I didn't need to know that because I knew that could lead to something a lot more, um, and then there was a part of me that did want to know that I wasn't the only one feeling that way, and... Um, we ended up sharing how we felt, um, and the relationship developed into much more um, than just friendship. And it became an affair that lasted for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the most confusing time of my life, um, the most fearful, the most um, draining emotionally time. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I, I can't even really put into words um what that time was like and I, I think in our culture adultery is so commonplace right now um it's in the church it's outside of the church it's pretty much everywhere yeah. we look we're desensitized to it and um when you're in it there is such a um an addictive nature to it yeah. Um, I, I've never had a a substance addiction or anything like that, but I knew when I was in that relationship that it was very, um, much the, the same things that happen with an addiction. I I hated what I was doing. I knew it was wrong. I knew the internal battle that I was wrestling with, but I was drawn to it at the same time. And, and, you know, there's good girl melody that now is very tarnished. I couldn't, couldn't pretend I was a good girl anymore, which was what I had always strived to be. Um, yeah, that's one of the quotes that I love in your book. It's in the, the next chapter where they're talking about the tragedy. And I just love it. She says, um, I could hear the voice of the enemy telling me that I might as well delve further into this relationship because it was too late now. And isn't that just like our enemy? The very minute you cave on just one little thing that pushes you into what you think is a sin or is sin, and then he just hits you. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you might as well give yourself over to it. Yeah. Oh, and it's such a dark picture. Yeah. And you go on to say, I could never hold the title of faithful wife again. I knew I was damaged goods, an adulterous wife, a cheater, a betrayer. And I could never make those new titles that I had chosen for myself go away. 
So the relationship continued. Yeah. And I just feel like there are so many women that we get to a point where that's what's happened. We label ourselves. Yeah. And we like indict ourselves for the rest of our lives. And yet God has more. Yeah. He has more. So um, I love that we're going to have our first cliffhanger here at Eavesdrop. We've never really had one like this. But let me just tell you, this is just the beginning. As as Melody and Randy have so much to share, God used this really dark moment in their eternal legacy to... Um, to birth something amazing so um let me just say we may be stopping at uh, a part that holds you captive and i hope that i hope that you see the story's not over and just like you have to come back next week to hear the rest of what god has done through melody and randy's lives um i pray that that will give you hope that it's just one week, guys. Never indict yourself with a label that is an eternity when truly it is an ongoing process daily before the Father. And um, remember that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are that woman who is stuck and you have started to label yourself and you feel like I can never hold these titles again, so I might as well just give myself over to whatever it is. You know, I'm hiding money. I'm I'm hoarding things. I'm filling up retail therapy in closets that my husband doesn't know anything about because I can't tell him how broken my heart is. I just want you to know that talk to someone this week. Reach out. Like I said, Melody's website is out there, lifeministriesnow.com. The book is right there on the front page. You can get it. Uh, But send an email. Shoot out a request for help find someone like Melody said there was that moment where she wished she could have just told somebody and look at what could have been spared but the fear don't let fear coupled with guilt and shame be like a combination punch that just knocks you out so um please this week as you're waiting to hear the rest of what god has done uh, reach out for some help in in the situation um again we are so glad that you are with us and um the book of, of uh, Melody and Randy Hemphill's story is called Every Marriage Needs a Divorce. And like I said, you can get it on lifeministriesnow.com. The link is going to be right on their front page. But um, please come back next week because I cannot even wait to tell you how great what God has done is. Through the, the darkest, most tragic moments, God is always there. And He is working a story of redemption and restoration and, um, and power. That's what I love about it. it. It's not that they have this form of godliness, but deny its power. Their God was there, and He showed up in a mighty way. So um, come back next week to Eavesdrop, where we're going to have a, another great talk with Melody Hemphill as you start to see how the tragedy um, that was weaving into their life came out into a beautiful story for God's glory. Thanks again for um, being with us, and you can check me out on eavesdrop.com on the web, or you can um, subscribe to the iTunes podcast, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.